Today's program is sponsored by Ministry Scheduler Pro, a scheduling tool that helps more than 3,000 parishes schedule, connect, and grow their ministries. MSP saves you time by seamlessly creating fair schedules that honor ministers' requests and keep families together. Automatic reminders and online sub-requests reduce no-shows and encourage accountability. To download a 30-day free trial, visit ministryschedulerpro.com. Today's program is also sponsored by the Ministry Monday podcast, a weekly program brought to you for free by the National Association of Pastoral Musicians. Ministry Monday covers topics important to anyone who serves as a minister in their faith community. The show features rich conversation with a whole range of guests like Lisa Anslinger, Kate Williams, Father Jim Martin, Bill Hibsch, Father Paul Turner, Rita Thyron, Andre Haywood, Bob McCarty, and more. Subscribe through iTunes or visit Ministry Monday Hello, Open Your Hymnal listeners. My name is Matt Reichert. And I'm Zach Stahowski. And we are both very pleased that you've joined us for a brand new episode of the podcast. Matt, as we record this episode, I'm realizing it is May 29th, and you have yet to wish me a happy Asian Pacific Islander American Heritage Month. Uh, Yes, that's true. However, in my defense, I have three things to say. One, there (laughs) there are two more days in May. Two, with Memorial Day, the mail is always late. And three, I did bake you a really nice cake for Casimir Pulaski Day. So I think that should help even things out a little bit. No, I think this is all to just say that, you know, we've been pretty busy, you and I. I I would say so. I mean, we've had our real jobs, which sometimes I am, you know, I forget about given all the other stuff that we do. But (laughs) with traveling and the podcast um, and, of course, the One Call Institute coming up. Yeah, that's not too far away. So there have been just tons of preparations uh, getting ready for that. But as I've been doing the work for One Call. I am just reminded of how much I enjoy, uh, you know, working with young people, getting to experience them and their different points of where they are with just encountering Jesus and developing their their faith lives. Absolutely, and it it underscores for me just how how many things are familiar. Um, as I recall back to my own experience being in youth group or, or you know, um, helping with music at liturgy, and also just how we can't ever assume that young people's experience are the same as our own. It's that weird sort of conflict between things are the same and always different, you know? Yeah, and of course, as I was thinking about that, I thought how, how appropriate to be thinking about these things as we uh, start to record our episode with Tom Booth. Yeah, we have an awful lot to talk about today, so please open your hymnals to I Will Choose Christ. I will choose Christ, I will choose love, I choose... Hello, my name is Tom Booth. I'm here with the Open Your Hymnal guys. I'm a composer, I work for OCP, I'm married, I have three kids, and I'm honored to be here today. I give my life, I give my all to you. 
Usually in our episodes, we begin with the composer sharing the genesis or the beginnings of the song that we are featuring. Today, since our conversation really is focusing on the theme of encounter and conversion, we're going to back up a little bit in the story. So we'll let Tom kick things off and we will work into the genesis of I Will Choose Christ. I started out, like I guess a lot of people just you know, loving music, playing in bands, playing the guitar, singing in choir, going to mass on occasion. I just didn't really have an encounter. I didn't somehow I wasn't engaged but I was moved when I, when I was a young man I remember that mass made sense for about an hour <laughs> you know, but, but after that there was a lot of other things to do you know I had to go out and and uh, create trouble for myself and so by the time I was 17 I hadn't been to mass in years and at the age of 17 had um, uh, this mystical encounter truly it's, I, I have the language for it now. At the time, I didn't know what was happening and really kind of choosing Christ, honestly. Um, Would you feel comfortable talking about that? Sure, sure. I was I was in a, an unhealthy relationship, and as those things tend to go, they tend to fall apart. And when that fell apart, my 17-year-old heart said, my world's over, you know. And I remember, I kid you not, I remember saying to the young lady (laughs) you need god (laughs) and as those words came out of my mouth i first thought what am i talking about and then i thought i think i even said it i need god and that was the beginning of this shift um but that wasn't the moment that i was referring to so i i started to i remember i went to our family uh bookshelf grabbed off the Bible, you know, moved the dust off it, started reading scripture. I started going to mass. I went to some other churches too, but somehow I felt at home at the mass, at the liturgy. Went to a Newman Center. I was welcome there. Wandered into a charismatic prayer meeting. I started this journey. I remember thinking, these charismatics are crazy or they're right, you know, and I found out they were both. And I became one <laughs> for summer. And started to pray and, and ask questions. I made appointments with the priests and started reading Terre de Chardin. I found a book by Terre de Chardin, Hymn of the Universe. I didn't know what it was saying, but I loved it. Uh, I read, I found a book by Thomas Merton. I started reading that. Um, and this all happened in a few months, but one night you mentioned songwriting. I started playing guitar in eighth grade, and I started writing songs in eighth grade. I thought that's what you did. I liked the Beatles a lot, and they I knew they played guitar, sang, and wrote songs. So I kind of thought that's the job description. So I'd been writing music songs since eighth grade, and now we're four or five years later. Uh, I'm in bed, and all I can tell you is that the room was darker than dark should be, and colder than cold. and. I, again, I'm saying, what is this? And I'd never, I was a pretty happy-go-lucky kid, played football, basketball, music, girls, you know, life, food. Didn't, didn't think too deeply, unfortunately. But in that moment, I, I kind of, my instinct was I grabbed the guitar and I wrote what now people would say would be a Christian song. I wrote 
the song of faith about your light, Lord, you know. With you, we can get through this. With you, there is joy. With you, there will be hope. I didn't know what I was writing. But I still play that song, note for note, word, nothing's changed. And as I sang it, the room got warmer and the room physically got brighter. Yeah. And that was it. Now, if that was it, you'd go, well, a little bit Hallmark, but nice, you know. <laughs> and I put the guitar down and and I thought, wow, okay, I'm starting to get this. And then, truth be told, this inner voice, I heard this voice inside. It wasn't John Wayne. It wasn't, there was no reverb. It wasn't overly dramatic. It was inside. And it, the voice said, get up. Get up. I have since studied the scriptures and that term is used a lot. Get up, get up. Get up and tell your sister that I love her. I'm like, oh no, I'm really becoming a charismatic now. I, I thought, what is this? But it was such a strong, I, I felt like I had a choice, but it was a very strong suggestion. And I got up, tell my sister that I love her. I don't, I haven't talked to my sister in probably two years. So I opened my door and I looked down the hall and I have three sisters and the sister that I, I later realized I knew which sister was sitting on a couch in front of a TV. And I walked, went up to my sister and she was crying. It was like two in the morning. And I said, you won't believe this, but I mean, God won't. It was God told me to tell you he loves you. And then she shared what had just happened to her. The worst thing a young girl could go through. And I knew then my plans for my life were over. And the model was set. You know, an encounter with God. Interpreted musically. And then shared with others. And it, it was 25 years before I figured that part out. But nothing much has changed, you know. Whether it's an encounter with God in a community, on a retreat, with you guys doing your work. Songs sometimes come out of that experience, a faith experience, and then share it with others. So, yeah, that that was the beginning for me. On uh, you know, At some point, I thought all this was about music and liturgy. It's not. The, the, for me, the deeper question is um, an encounter and transformation. And I guess I would have said in the, back in the day to be made more in the likeness and image of Christ, which is true. I think now the language I would use to, to encounter our true selves and to get past the false self and um, maybe be more who we are made to be and be a reflection in that way of the Lord. What's the name of the song that came through you? It's called With You, My Lord. And I've never recorded I've recorded it, but I've never released it. I've never, it's never been published. But um, yeah, With You, My Lord. So what Tom describes here is essentially a conversion experience. And I don't know if this is the same for you, Zach, but it seems like Though the concept of conversion experiences is quite common, you know, when it comes to the church, Christianity, stories of people's faith lives, it seems like that phrase conversion experience can be um, intimidating or confusing or maybe even off-putting for some people. 
Oh, absolutely. I know just the many a times I experienced in college, uh, people coming up to me and asking me if I have been saved or if I have come to know the Lord Jesus Christ as my own personal Savior, things like that. Those have been conversations that I've always hated having. Yeah, and and I think for for me the the times that um, the concept of conversion has been a part of you know someone's story or it's been relayed, it seems like this you know single momentary instance you know clouds parting, hand coming down, hearing hearing a deep Morgan Freeman esque voice you know kind of kind of experience, and and I should say like I I don't know much about conversion experiences. I'm not an expert whatsoever, but. When I think about conversion, it seems to me like people who have those moments of awareness or their eyes being opened, there, there's been a lot that has happened prior to that that's led and helped develop leading up to that experience. Well, absolutely. And I can think of, you know, for myself, just growing up with probably what you would call a pretty narrow theology you know just as a child i remember thinking heaven is somewhere up in the sky hell is somewhere down below uh we have a god who made everything and i know it was when i started attending uh, music ministry alive that uh, my definition of what god was and you know just this wider theology really brought me much deeper in my faith. Do you have, um, I mean, are there any sort of, of these singular moments that you you recall? I mean, again, I, it's probably clear with your involvement in your parish and everything that, again, you were being led up to that point. But is there any sort of singular moment or aha that kind of stands out to you? Yes. When I first started attending things like Music Ministry Alive and the NPM National Convention, and I really started to see what great liturgy could do uh, for the way that we pray as the body of Christ, I know that that was really significant to me. So I think of many moments at Music Ministry Alive, for example, table prayer, or some of our Tizé experiences, where I felt... uh, I really felt Jesus Christ alive in that worshiping body. And, um, you know, just having that experience was one of those great aha moments for me. What about you? Yeah, I I, I mean, mine are are probably going to be similar in the sense that the moments that I felt um, that I could really... My my questions, my quest for discovery, um, were were encouraged and actually could lead somewhere. Um, and also the moments where I felt in communal worship with other people that um, sort of we were all on the same page, we were all invested, involved. Again, like you said, I could see what good liturgy really felt like, looked like. Um, those were the moments that everything clicked. Again, the the study, the questions, the rich tradition, the reason, the faith, the practice of worship, um, when all of those align, it's something that's really powerful. You know, I think it's good that we're talking about this because it's important to take stock of our own spirituality because so often in the work that we do, uh, I think it's important to to start there. And in talking about it, especially with young people, uh, I think we start to pave a path forward for people to feel more comfortable talking about something that is sometimes uncomfortable. So I think I've reflected on that story that I just shared with you guys, and it forms you forever. 
but we have to grow from that, I, I would say, too, right? We have to get the bigger picture of the human person, um, spirit, soul, and body, and what conversion means, and formation, and discipleship, and, and the power of lit the gift of liturgy. Um, so for me, I, I guess I would tell you this. I, I always remember that kid, Tom, that knew a lot but had no idea. No, no clue. <laughs> a nice young man, you know, fairly giving, gifted, but um, in need, in need of love, in need of, um, what is it? Natural law teaches that we hunger for God. And that has given me, I guess my philosophy would be, I've been asked to many times, here, here's a microphone, here's a high school, <laughs> talk. And I always say, what, what, how did I get here? There's a, I could name a thousand other people that should do that. But I always say, I know this. They may not know this, but I know they are hungering for God. And so as long as I take the approach of humility and, you know, music's a great thing. People recognize it. Even if they maybe don't know the style, they'll say if it's good. Um, so my first thought is to remember where I came from. And then, you know, the Catholic faith, our Catholic faith has really formed me. It's a gift. My father converted to the faith. Um, it was not an easy thing for him to do. So, you know, my Catholic roots only go back to the 1950s. But my dad had a lot of courage. He had a Jesuit neighbor <laughs> who got to him. and. So one of the things I share too is, you know, this Catholic faith is a beautiful gift with a lot of imperfect people. And if you want to look for some really not so good stories, you'll find them. But if you are ser searching for the Lord, for love, for purpose, you you'll find it. You'll find it in this faith. Uh, Richard Rohr talks about, you know, as, as we get the second half of our life, that, um, the faith structure is like a container, you know, and, and inside that container um, is then spirituality, religion, relig, the ligament that, that keeps our, us attached to spirituality. So I don't know if I'm answering your question at all, but those are the things that go through my head while I'm tuning my guitar. <laughs> How many times must he call my name? Show to me that he is God. As a servant, he calls Matt, one of my favorite things about working with the One Call Institute is that we get to encounter so many young people on varying points of their spiritual journey. We have the kids who are just on fire for Jesus, and then we have the kids who are dragged there screaming and kicking all along the way. Were you, um, when, when we were at Music Ministry Alive, Zach, were you the kid who came in on fire, somewhat on fire, already kindled, or were you a kicker screamer? You know, I was, I was totally on fire for music. I think I was, even though I was doing a lot at church, I was still on the fence about just where I was with my Catholic faith. Yeah. But, you know, that experience helped me to merge the two things together, for sure. Yeah, and, and I mean, I, I asked that for a couple of reasons, because it, 
it seems to me that again, you know, people will ask you or myself or our colleague Jess, like, what happens at one call that makes this happen to kids, you know, where they have this experience? And I mean, it seems to me that the experience is, like I mentioned before, when it all clicks, but it's been the years, you know, maybe decades for some people before then of questioning, discovery, examination, experience that leads up to the moment when it clicks. And sometimes I think for those of us who work with young people, we try to manufacture the moments when it clicks. And sometimes we can fail to pay as much attention to the process that takes place before it that gets people there in that moment where all the pieces can come together. Yeah, so what happens, I start on that journey from that moment and that encounter and my sister and that song, and I say, well, what should I do? So I start studying philosophy and music. I really did not know what to do. I didn't know what to do. Nothing else really made sense anymore except to pursue that mystery, that voice. And so I went on, I just went on a journey. So I studied music theory, classical guitar at one point. I loved philosophy. I ended up graduating with a degree in music history and two minors, religious studies and recording engineering. And everybody said, so what are you going to do? I remember, you know, May of 1984, I remember saying, I have no idea. And so I drove to a monastery, Snowmass, Colorado, and hung out with the monks there for a couple weeks and told them, I, what are you guys doing? <laughs> you know, you have to sometimes leave home. I'm in my Ford Pinto driving it was an orange Ford Pinto with a white racing stripe. <laughs> so graduated, then I started playing at masses. And now that's a whole no, another thing to learn how to be a pastoral musician. You know, I, I came from a different side of the tracks. I always feel like I came from the different side of the tracks, you know, but really dove into that. And, and so what happened was... Um, I got hired at a parish in Mesa, and they said, you know, we want to do something special for for teenagers. I said, so do I. And we want the music to be unique, and we want you to just go for it. And I said, so do I. (laughs) And, And that's what happened. 1985, I was 23. Again, I felt like I knew nothing, and we dove in. So by 1991, one, I'm doing RCIT, the Rite of Christian, Christian Initiation of Teenagers, teaching confirmation and leading a couple liturgies. And we had a Sunday night mass, and they came up with the name Life Teen. And I was the director for that for 20 years. And I Will Choose Christ was initially uh, a, the first reason it was even composed was for a, a confirmation retreat. What should it be called? I think other people said it should be called Choose Christ. In fact, I remember Mark Keough said to me, this retreat should say Choose Christ. And I said, okay, that seems pretty direct. <laughs> I'm not known to be the most poetic lyricist, but I think I came up with something nice. I will choose Christ. <laughs> To be honest, I wanted to encourage the young people to 
say yes to God, say yes to Christ. And um, I thought if I could have them sing that for three days, it would encourage them. Um, so that's what it was. And the verses were really, it's all set up for a retreat. Session one, verse one, session two, verse two. Um, the retreat went well. The kids, young people sang it. Um, and that was that. A few years later, this artist, Kathy Tricoli, very awesome lady, said, I love it. Can I record it? I said, yeah. And she goes, let's rethink it, though. Because she does Christian music, Christian radio. Do you mind if we rethink it? I said, I'm a musician. That's what we do. You know, I don't think it's like divinely crafted for this, but it was humanly crafted for, for that moment. But she said, let's go into a studio. And I, she brings a thing about, I know what works on radio. Your chorus is great. Let's write new verses and a bridge. So we did, she and I together. It sold over 500,000 copies. It went to number one on the radio in three different, you know, things. I don't even know what that means anymore. But I got nominated for a Dove Award. I ended up in Nashville with a tie. <laughs> you know, and it was it was really unique. I don't remember exactly what year that was, 93, 94, 95, something like that. And I remember that we were there for this big award. I go, well, what if we win? What, what, what do I say? <laughs> Truly, I didn't. Well, we didn't win. Um, Butterfly Kisses came out that year. Do you remember that song? For butterfly kisses after bedtime prayer. It's the number one song in the history of radio. It blew away all the Elvis Presley records. Well, that's the year I was nominated. <laughs> so post-award show, we're having dinner, and we're like, I'll take the chicken. You know, and we're really, and over here is the winning table, and there's streamers and you know, popping champagne. <laughs> but it was still pretty cool. It was so pretty cool. To deserve a hug every morning and butterfly kisses at night. I think one of the things that we're realizing here in this conversation is that. A real conversion experience is going to affect everything that you do, the way that you see everything, um, how you approach different things. And I think we're seeing that uh, in the way that Tom talks about the way that he writes and the way that he ministers. So I think that song served a certain moment well, and then it was adapted for other moments. I remember stories. I remember being in a big diocesan meeting for a big Catholic liturgy and somebody said well we should definitely do I will choose Christ and another person across the table with looked me dead in the eye and said well that is clearly not a Catholic song and <laughs> I didn't say anything <laughs> but I remember I thought wow I'm in it now and I, the affirmation and antagonism it and so then I think I thought, well, I need to figure out what, where that's coming from and really began to study liturgy and meet all the, the greats that we all know and learn from them, and especially John Foley and Gary Daigle, Rory Cooney. Um, I'm really good friends with Cyprian Consiglio. So I think sometimes I'm, as a composer, I'm thinking, 
now I know, oh, I'm writing for ritual. What does this ritual moment mean? The text is so important. I take it a whole different approach now to that. But there are also times, uh, because my, my, the rest of my journey is more on spiritual direction and spirituality, there's songs that are just, it's Christian art, I guess you'd call it. It doesn't have to be crafted for liturgy. So when we have these conversations with composers, um, everyone we speak to, there's going to be slightly different questions that we have, obviously, because they're different people, different pieces. There are also questions that we ask of everybody, initial genesis of the song, etc. Um, and one of the song questions that we always ask has to do with recording, memories of recording the song for the first time, etc. And this, Zach, has to be the craziest recording story for any of the songs that we've covered so far. Well, absolutely. I mean, anytime uh, the setting is Abbey Road, um, you, you know, you, you know, you're going to be in for a treat. Well, and and it gets, you know, the plot gets thicker. Not only are we in Abbey Road using microphones that the Beatles used to record, but then Bernadette Farrell shows up and, <laughs> and all of these other, this mashup and collision of two worlds. So we wanted to make sure that we could let Tom share this crazy recording story with you as well. So one of the supreme honors that I was given in my life was uh, I was in, I was going to be in Europe and I talked to OCP, I said, hey, why don't I go to Abbey Road in London and record? It was time for kind of a best of thing, you know. And why don't I go over there for a day and record? And they said, good idea. <laughs> and so, you know, again, the Beatles were a big influence on me as a young man. Um, and so I did this. I went, to, I went to Abbey Road in London, spent, you know, 10 a.m. to till midnight there and recorded re-recorded two old songs that I never liked the recordings of and recorded two new songs and it was in studio to the famous studio and um, anyway we, we recorded I Will Choose Christ there because I wanted I just didn't like the earlier versions and to be in that studio doing this song you know you're just sitting there going <laughs> How did any of this happen? <laughs> How did this happen? So that that was just uh, that was powerful. And they had some problems with the equipment, and after everybody left, um, in fact, Bernadette Farrell came and hung out, and I was I was as in awe of Bernadette, who I'd seen, never met, and I actually brought an octavo, and there I am in Abbey Road, sitting at the piano that Lady Madonna was played on, and she walks in, and I go, Would you sign my octavo? <laughs> Not kidding. And and she wrote, I still remember, she said, you are a blessing to the planet. I'm holding her to that. <laughs> so that was a cool, you know, Bernadette, the Beatles, not making up a word of this. John Lim, publisher of OCP, flies to London for that because he's good friends with Owen, mm -hmm. Allstock, yeah. and Bernadette. <laughs> he wouldn't mind me telling you this. So he's just hanging with me all day. I go, again, it was so so amazing this would be 2005 so we get through the recordings and I, I mustered up and he took a picture of me walking across the crosswalk <laughs> and we get in there we do the work they had some problems with the gear everybody leaves including John and Bernadette and Owen went to dinner so it's just me and the engineer and I'm just kind of I could tell you had to say something he goes 
we had like some real problems today. That's not normal. He goes, the studio is yours for the next two hours. You and me, what do you want to do? I mean, from 10 p.m. or it was like 8 to 10. He didn't, I said, what I want you to do is get a couple mics out that you know the Beatles used, that, that you guys know. I think, oh yeah, well, there's three of them for sure. And he gets it out and he sets it up. And I said, I'll just do some solo stuff. And I have a song called Here I Am. Here I am. And I'm like, oh, this will be nice. I can't get through it. I keep screwing up. I've done that song. And I finally went, let's do um, Strawberry Fields. <laughs> and I did it front to back. Just, you know, no problems. And um, it was just special. My best friend the year before had died of cancer. And um, so it was kind of bittersweet. And he was a Beatle fan. He would have been there with me. So that night, we go to dinner. And then John goes, let's walk to Paul McCartney's house. I'm not making this up. I'm with John Lim, and Paul lives pretty close to Abbey Road. Back in the day, he bought a house so he could go to the sessions. And we go, and I go, okay, we're here. It's kind of late, John. And John starts going, Paul, Paul, Paul. And I, I said, am I the adult here? You know, so then we go back to the hotel. Now you think that's the rest of the story. It gets better. We go back. We're standing at the, at the elevator, and he goes, all right. Something I want to ask you. I figure the answer is going to be no, but I have to ask. He reaches into his jacket, hands me an envelope, and pushes up and goes up. I'm like, you know, I'm a little, like, what? what more could happen today? So I go up, I read, it's a, an offer to work for OCP. Would you move to Portland? Would you come and be here? And I lay on the bed, and I, the letter's on my chest, and... Before I wake up, I have this incredible dream of my best friend. And we're back in the studio in Abbey Road. And we're in the studio, and I think I'm back in the studio I'd, again. And, and the guy goes, hey, we should go down to the cantina where the Beatles always took their tea breaks, famous place. And I said, yeah, let's do that. So I go down there with him, and there's my buddy, John Baker, my best friend. And he's sitting with two people on either side, my wife always says, who's the word that? I said, I couldn't take my eyes off John. And I said, John, you're here. And he goes, of course I'm here. And then I woke up. And I took the job, and it was, you know, it was quite a day. You couldn't stuff more into one day. <laughs> Bernadette Farrell, Paul McCartney, John Lim, John Baker, job. Strawberry Fields, the, the job offer, the worst rendition of Here I Am you've ever heard. <laughs> And I pulled off I Will Choose Christ because I had the music. <laughs> and now, here's a recording of I Will Choose Christ in its entirety. I will choose Christ. I will choose love. I choose to serve. I give my heart, I give my life, I give my all to you. How many times must he call my name and show to me that he is God? As a servant, he calls to me 
must serve to I will choose Christ I will choose love I choose to serve I give my heart I give my We'll be right back after a word from one of our sponsors. Introducing Great Catholic Music, the free music streaming platform featuring traditional hymns and contemporary favorites. The platform is the first of its kind, bringing you all of the beautiful music of the Catholic Church. From traditional favorites to today's top Catholic artists, enjoy the sounds of Marty Haugen, David Haas, Sarah Hart, Matt Marr, and many others. Search for Great Catholic Music in the App Store or Google Play, or ask Alexa to play it for you. It's Great Catholic Music. Find out more online at greatcatholicmusic.com. 
Welcome back, Open Your Hymnal listeners. It is now time for the Open Your Hymnal playlist, the time in the show where Zach and I get to share with you additional music drawn from the themes of today's conversation. Zach, why don't you kick us off with your first pick? Well, obviously, Tom is not the only one who has been writing for communities of young people, so we wanted to showcase another song that was written for a community of young people, in this case, uh, the community that was Music Ministry Alive. And so this is a song by Lori True uh, called One Lord. As I was thinking about my own spiritual journey, um, I was trying to think about music that was particularly important to me. And one of those songs was In the Breaking of the Bread by Michael Ward. Now, we've shared uh, Michael's original recording of this on our previous episodes. So for this one, I thought we would share John Angotti's cover. So this is In the Breaking of the Bread. In the walking on the road we saw him in the telling of our hopes we saw him in the burning of our hearts we saw the lord 
At the meal he took the bread And then he blessed it Broke it, offered it In the breaking of the bread We saw him Suddenly our eyes were opened We set out to find his friends To tell them Everyone that we could meet To tell them and with joy we told them We have seen the Lord And as we were speaking there He stood among us Blessed us Said to us Now my peace I leave with you Saw him Suddenly 
And I'm curious, Matt, if you have any songs that were particularly important to you in your spiritual journey. You know, that's a really difficult question to answer. I think like most people, I have so many songs that I could include. And I'll say as as the primary editor of this program, I've included a lot of those songs um, over the last uh, over the last couple of seasons. But one piece that does stand out to me, um, I remember being a young person hearing this piece and just textually and musically being very moved by it. It's always stuck with me, is a song called All Glory Is Yours by Bob Moore. It's one of those pieces that just really has always spoken to me and really has sort of been a constant companion on my own spiritual journey. So I hope you enjoy.
Zach, as I'm sure our listeners will agree, every edition of the Open Your Hymnal playlist is special, but you and I know that this edition is particularly special. That's right, Matt. Uh, For the first time, we are going to actually be releasing a never-before-heard recording. Earlier in the episode, Tom told the story about how when he was 17, he wrote one of his first songs as as a part of this conversion experience. It was a song called With You, My Lord, and it has never been released. It has never been published, but Tom graciously recorded it for us and sent it to us to share with all of you. So here, 40 years later to the very weekend, we're pleased to share with you to premiere for you With You, My Lord by Tom Booth. From a cold gray night to a blinding light With you, my Lord, I can find myself And you every day We can find the crease 
and spread it out with you my lord we can change our way from a cold gray night to a blinding light with you my lord i can find myself and you Thank you for listening to Open Your Hymnal, and special thanks to Tom Booth for speaking with us. I Will Choose Christ is published by OCP. The recording you heard was released by OCP on the album The Best of Tom Booth. For more information about this song, the other songs you heard, links to purchase this music, and additional resources can be found at our website, openyourhymnal.com. Production assistance and support for this episode was provided by OCP. Be sure to follow Open Your Hymnal on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. And if you haven't yet, you can subscribe to the podcast through iTunes and Google Play. For Open Your Hymnal, I'm Zach Stahowski. And I'm Matt Reichert. Thanks for listening. You've been listening to Open Your Hymnal. All content of this episode is property of Look Up Here Productions or its content suppliers and is protected by United States and international copyright law. For more information about this show and its use, please visit OpenYourHymnal.com. Open Your Hymnal.